What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Ian Pritchett, interview number two, back again. Ian is in Melbourne, Australia. He wrote the book, Where Did It All Go Wrong? Talking about the advertising industry and examining some of the industry's decisions over the years. And today we're going to talk about the question. We're going to try to answer it. What's there to look forward to? Hi, Ian. Hey, Mark. How's it going? All right. So we've both been around the industry for a while. I started as a teenager, so I am uh, almost two and a half decades into my time here. You're maybe similar, maybe less, maybe more. Who's counting? Doesn't even matter. Bit more, maybe. There you go. Only a teeny bit more. Only a teeny (laughs) bit more. I like it. So having been around for a while, and I actually have answers to this question, but for you, a lifelong practitioner. Yeah. What's there to look forward to? It's, it's funny because, you know, talking about the, the book, so the book was called Where, Where Did It All Go Wrong? And it was a kind of critique. And, you know, I look at the industry. And it wasn't entirely negative. You know, I think it trying to sort of point in a few directions where we could improve and things could get better. I kind of think that actually there's another book, which is Where Did It All Go Wrong? Part 2, which is about my career. <laughs> which, uh, you know, at, at this sort of uh, standpoint. Well, what would the book include? Would it cover the whole career or just a certain part of the career? <laughs> well, no, I'm kind of joking. It's, it's probably, it's a page rather than a whole book. But yeah, no, it's just, you know, what to look forward to, you know, for the benefit of the listeners So at the moment. So I'm talking from my home office in the suburbs of Melbourne, having, you know, been sat here for, for two months, um, trying to figure out, you know, at the age of 50-something, what to do next. Because um, the the nature of the industry as it is, I think, you know, if you're like, you know, under 30, now looking at your place in the industry, I think that, you know, a big goal has got to be before you're 40 or 45, you've got to be running your agency or or have your own consultancy or something where you're not really beholden to too many powers above you or else you're going to be in a tricky situation you know you know looking back that's you know a mistake i've made it's probably not getting to that but i've been happy at, uh, at a certain level you know running a mm. department um and that, but, that but, was but also like if you're in your if, if you were or are in your 50s and you're still in the agency you're probably in the you know there's the research from the ipa that looks at the average age of people in the industry and it compares it to other professions such as law and accounting i believe and over the age of 40 45 it gets sparse very quickly i think it drops down to i'm going to say six percent i'm going to say six percent of the industry is over the age of 45 i'm making it up but from memory accounting and law is closer to 20 to 25 percent do you know that the numbers and the research that i'm talking it's, about? it's something like that yeah i think uh, advertising i think it's, it's lower than six percent to be honest and yeah. um, um certainly if you get if you get over 50 hmm. and then you know so of that three or four percent you know and about 75 percent uh that you know this is this doesn't help me because it makes me feel more of a failure you know because of that you know of that small percentage that are over 50 is heavily dominated by men as well you know so it's even worse if you're if you're female right, right. um you know and i'm not i'm not sure that's always been the case you know i think it's a relatively recent phenomenon you know so i don't know about you but i mean my sort of um heroes from the past you know when you look at people like stanley pollitt 
Stephen King, you know, they were well into their 40s, you know, when they were sort of establishing uh, the discipline, you know, so they were mm -hmm. still innovating, creating uh, new things, you know, but mm -hmm. nowadays they'd, they'd be out on their ear long before they had the chance to bring those ideas in. So I think um, the leaning towards youth has definitely been a recent phenomenon. I've got a hypothesis. Uh, oh, I get a few. Well, I'll float this one with you. Do you know? Do you know that book by? There's a guy called David Graeber, and he's, he it started off as an essay called Bullshit Jobs, and it became a sort of cult uh, phenomenon and got turned into a whole book. But he's a strange character. He's I think he's at London School of Economics. He's a professor or mm. something, but he's also a sort of anarchist. Um, so how you can be an anarchist economics professor, you know, riddle me that. But anyway, he's doing it. But it's a, it's a hilarious book, but it's also deeply sort of troubling uh, at the same time. But his basic premise is that in the sort of knowledge economy or the information economy, vast majority of the jobs that get done don't need to be done. And the people who do them know that they don't need to be done. Mm -hmm. you know, and, about, and, and they did some sort of time tracking of general office workers and about 70% of their day was spent, you know, dicking around on Facebook or sending, you know, funny emails to colleagues and everything. And, and basically the work still got done. And so his idea is that, that this work doesn't need to be done. But because you know, for corporations, the number of staff that they employ, you know, I mean, one of the reasons is that that's an important signaling device, mm -hmm. you know, that signals that they're a big, stable, reputable company who employ, you know, 10,000 people. Uh, that's the only reason for these jobs to exist. Mm -hmm. Now, he doesn't go as far as this, but I've sort of extrapolated it out a little bit. And you think, well, actually... If just having bums on seats is the, is the purpose of these jobs, then very little skill is required to do them because they are bullshit jobs. And so you want to fill those seats with uh, people that are as cheap as possible to keep in there. So it becomes this kind of circle of kind of, uh, mm. yeah. you, know where, you know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. And so, I think he, yeah. he also talks about in certain parts of the, I don't know, the thinking economy. That's not his phrase. Yeah. It's barely even mine yeah. about how many roles are actually going to administrative uh, tasks. And that's often so that people who run, who are able to hire and employ ad people who do administrative tasks, they have more administrative people than the other people who have administrative yeah. people. And <laughs> yeah. I've seen... You know, I did see, I think this is public. I saw John Windsor break down the money of a particular holding group. And from memory, I know I make a lot of numbers up. I don't do it intentionally. I'm trying to get to the emotional truth of them rather than the factual truth. Yeah. Apologies. But yeah. from when I saw him do a talk, he said something like 60% of the, or more, of the holding company's money was going to administrative roles rather than people who were doing the thinking or making the thinking happen. And that's not yeah. to talk down about the administrative roles. It is, however, to point out that that's a lot of admin a lot of money going to administration and not to people doing the thinking. That's it. Yeah. And, and does all that ad administration really need to be done? You yeah. know, it's such a cliche, but a lot of cliches are cliches because they're kind of true. Which is, what's the value of an idea? You know, because you can, you know, an idea can appear or come to you 
in in sort of you know in five minutes. But how do yeah. you you can't put five minutes on a timesheet? You know? yeah, so yeah. Then you have to then you have to say, well, hang on, how much is a reasonable amount of hours to to put down for getting to that idea? And you say, yeah. okay, well, you know, twenty four, right? And, you know, but really, it took five minutes. So it just it perpetuates a kind of dishonesty. Hmm. But what what are you going to do? So. Let, let me ask you, I'm not going to strong arm you with any questions, but I know you'll let me know if I've asked something too strong okay. or too, too loaded. Yeah. Uh, so being that you got into your 50s in the industry, that's a pretty, pretty long stint. And being that often one of the first questions we ask in strategy is, how did we get here? How did this situation happen? How did you get to yeah. the situation in your 50s where you're now trying to work out what to do? Um. Well, probably because I didn't really start until quite late. You know, I did other things. I think I never really got my first proper sort of job in advertising until I was about 30 anyway, you know, because I'd, I'd done other stuff. As you know, I was into the music and everything, so I played in bands. I was a club DJ, did record labels, all, all that, you know, kind of stuff. And then, but, but it's that was kind of on the, not, the illegitimate side of uh, the economy, but you know what I mean. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. You don't pay tax and all that kind of stuff. You have a lot of cash in hand, so that you get to a point where you think, actually, as a sort of adult, I better participate in normal society <laughs> uh, a little bit. You know, although I mean, some people, you know, I think if you've got more of an entrepreneurial bent, then you can happily sort of, you know a lot of the entrepreneurial way of doing things is kind of in that space, you know, on the seat of your pants kind of thing. I wasn't naturally inclined that way. So even though I think, oh, I've made it to, uh, you know, 50-something and still, you know, almost in the industry, because I didn't start till I was 30, you know, a lot, you know, I'm probably 10 years behind everyone else. Mm. So it's not a great um, achievement. Luckily, of course, I'm so youthful, uh, looking and good looking that I can, you know, I can get away with saying I'm 42. <laughs> we should sign you up as a quote-unquote mentor for anybody doing research into quote-unquote millennials putting off adulthood. You could say, I invented that and I did it till the age of 30 and then I moved into advertising. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a whole, you know, I'd, I'd, people of, you know, my sort of generation, you know, I think it was the pre-slacker, sort of post-punk, pre-slacker era. I think all of us, you know, or a big percentage of us were pretty good at putting off uh, taking anything seriously for as long as possible. Mm. I'd been at art school as well, so I got four years of, of training in sort of, uh, you know, uh, doing nothing but looking productive. So. Okay. So let's ask the question back to you. What's there to look forward to? There was a thing uh, last week which I did... Uh, You'll probably you'll see the relevance of this in a second. Did you see that? I'm sure you saw it. It was all over uh, Twitter and stuff. The fella in New Zealand who uh, who was a creative director or something who was getting his redundancy meeting uh, with the agency and, it, and you're allowed to bring in a support person and he brought in a clown. Did you see that? I did. I did. But I, you know what was even more surprising to me was that he was told that there was a redundancy meeting and he was able to prepare for it. All I remember yeah. back in the day is all of a sudden a group of people are getting told, called to a room one by one and then they're no longer there. Yeah, that's it. well, maybe there's sort of different regulations in New Zealand. I know, I'm, you know, because obviously I've just been through that recently, and I was thinking, oh, you know, that was genius. You know, what 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 he did there. You know, from the point of view of well, a it was funny and creative, but also 
you know, it takes a certain kind of cleverness to, to be able to look at any negative situation and say, how can I turn this around to be a positive and to be my benefit? You know, and there's not probably in your professional life, there's nothing more negative than being pulled into the room and given your cards. But he was quick enough to think, right, turn this into a positive. You know? mm. I think, uh, I mean, he probably, I think uh, he got another job at DDB or something about three days later. I suspect that was probably already lined up. But what a brilliant bit of sort of self-promotion, you mm-hmm. know, from like a potentially very negative situation, you know. So is, is, your, is your point that what's there to look forward to, the answer is clowns? <laughs> well, I think what, what's to look forward to, you know, sometimes it's difficult in your own situation. You know, that's why that guy was super sharp and did that. So, you know, hats off. But the lesson, I think, for in terms of what to look forward to is every single day, you're gaining more experience, seeing more situations, watching how people react in certain situations. And that's all grist to the mill. And, you know, in, in theory, it better prepares you for whatever bullshit is going to get flung at you as you go along. So I think, you know, I just really laughed out loud at that story because I, I thought that was, um, it shows great creativity. You know, but the guy's probably got more of a feature in PR because that's the daily... Uh, well, as you know, most of PR is crisis management. You know? hmm. But um, sorry, I think I, I don't think I really answered the question. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work out whether you're going somewhere or avoiding somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm avoiding saying that probably I, I can't really think of anything that is to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, hey, Mark, I want to talk about the question. What's it to look forward to? But I don't, I don't think there is anything. Is that what just happened? <laughs> Why do you think, I can get serious too, but why do you, why do you think that? I guess, you know, you can only look at your own sort of experience and your own situation and you say, well, what would I have done? What should I have done uh, differently or better? But when sort of adversity comes around, I think what, what's been, in the last couple of months has been really interesting for me because, so I've got two things going on. One, which is trying to get a job. The other thing, which is that, the sort of opportunity is to kind of think, well, how can I sort of build my own consulting brand or what have you? And then you've got to do things like you've got to be registered as a business, you know, you've got all of that kind of stuff. So it's uh, unfortunate, unforeseen circumstances. They just throw up other opportunities and you sort of expand your, doesn't matter how old you get, uh, you're always sort of expanding your knowledge of, of how things work. I mean, it's funny, I was, uh, you know, like uh, the Gary Vaynerchuk character. I was, just, I was just looking on Twitter this morning, there was some debate going on about something that, that he said. And I think, you know, about half of what he talks about is utter nonsense. But the other half is totally, like, spot-on, insightful genius. And... Um, you know, so when you're working in advertising, he's kind of he's like the sort of enemy because he's the sort of up and coming alternative kind of voice to the industry that, that that we know. But on the other hand, you know, I think for anyone thinking about, well, I'm going to start out on my own and get entrepreneurial and everything, all of the stuff he talks about there is absolutely spot on. You know, about self reliance, about determination. Um, so I guess what you have to look forward to is, you know, one thing's for certain. You know, so if you're 24 now coming into the industry, then you've probably got about four or five getting fired situations to look forward to. And so it can either 
destroy it or you can look at each of those as like the opportunity to then you know to sort of build something else you know mm-hmm. i think in hindsight i'd have spent more time on my sort of side uh hustle in earlier years you know rather than wait until it was a sort of imperative um, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I relate to that, and also, as far as Gary V goes, if if half of what you say is genius, and that's pretty pretty amazing, and his game is quantity, uh, yeah. and he does run a pretty large operation over here in the states, um, and I think, uh, yeah, it's. Are you hurting right now? Um, what mentally or? Yeah, emotionally, mentally. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I'm sort of over the hump of my sort of, uh, you know, resentment and sense of injustice, so, uh, um, which kind of, that sort of lands for a little while. Hmm. And then, and people say this, they say, oh, well, you know, it's going to be tough for a little while, and then you get your first couple of projects in, and then you're sort of flying. So I'm just sort of, I'm sort of on the verge uh, of, of that now. So I'm hoping... Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I've got a couple of things bubbling under that will keep me busy to the uh, you know end of the year, mm-hmm. and then uh, see where it goes. So you know, maybe maybe that sort of entrepreneurial flame, uh, you know, is in there. You know, there's a, you know I think that you always see these things you know over LinkedIn of how, like you know whoever it was started General Electric when they were 58 or something. So yeah. Um, the, the average age of quote unquote successful entrepreneurs is higher than the media would allow us to believe. I, I think it's like yeah. late late thirties, as yeah. opposed to a lot of the faces you see uh, uh, in the twenties. Uh, yeah. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, yeah. But I think I think what you're going through because you kind of go through this grieving and bereavement process. I've been through it. I still harbor some <laughs> some pain that I can tap into yeah. every now and then, and, and I try to I try to work out where to put it in, in and how to put it out into words and writing in a constructive way. And that, that pain might exist for a very 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 long time. Yeah. Sting. But ideas like uh, responsibility, I, th- I think it's really hard because a lot of us out outsource our sense of self and our, the structures of our days to companies and to timesheets, and we yeah. don't take as much responsibility as we could take for them uh, when, well, it's not about when we're young, but just in life in general, and then all of a sudden, yeah. the job's not there, and you're like, oh, God, now I've got to take responsibility for myself. What's all this about? At a time yeah. when I'm mourning and confused about who I am anymore and whether I'm any good or whether I was any good. That's so, it. I mean, yeah, you know yourself, you, know, you can't, um, you know, because if you wake up and you feel a bit shit, you can't say, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll just take the day off. <laughs> because, because you're just picking your own pocket. The other thing I noticed, so, I mean, as you know, I'm interested in psychology, particularly organizational, how people work in groups and all that kind of stuff. And it was just this time, it was really fascinating for me that when you work in a job, you know, with a group of people, 50 people, however big the place is, 50, 100 people, and uh, and you you know you talk to these people every day and you have a semi sort of personal relationship you know about each other's families and all that kind of stuff and then it's all gone and there's no relationship there at all mm. so I just left that place I've spoken to no one since there and even going through the the bullshit process of of getting restructured out you know it was like um, everything became phony because people were following the process so there's an hr process where these things have to be phrased in this way these questions need to be asked these uh, 
you know, things of support must be offered. But it was bullshit. It was like a whole sort of, you know, period of time of having a human relationship with people. Then that's gone. And it's then a machine type process. You know, that was that was really interesting. Even though uh, you know, you know, because the the whole sort of psychology of organizations and communications that's my interest. Even though I know exactly what's going on, it's still surprising when you actually experience it in real life. So that was a fascinating learning experience even at this stage. I might add that moral to my other I, I don't I don't know what I'm calling it these days, but I, I do think there's a because you know we build and see the world in our own image at times. I think for many strategy folk who love to solve problems, they can start to see themselves as a problem that needs solving. That's one point. And then I love what you just said around doing a strategy job might mean that you think you know people, but you'll still get surprised by people. And that's beautiful in some situations. And in other situations, it's it's not. It's upsetting. Yeah. But you won't know them to a point where you'll be able to predict them. Yeah. You know, it's like the, um, who was the um, Goffman? sociologist it was uh, his sort of essay that was really influential was called the presentation of self in everyday life you know and so he didn't know about because uh, he was a sociologist not a psychologist so he didn't really know about mental modules and motives and stuff he just knew that people present different versions of themselves you know that are, it's heavily context dependent right so mm-hmm. Uh, one version of Mark doing the podcast, you know. Uh, it might be several versions of Mark doing the podcast, you know, depending on the nature of your relationship with the, whoever's talking with you, right? So we sort of know each other a little bit, so it's maybe a little bit more relaxed, you know. But, but if you were talking with, say, I don't know, I'm just trying to use someone that's sort of got a big famous persona. Kanye um, West? Yeah. I'm joking. I was going to say Rory Sutherland, but... <laughs> I wouldn't get a word in with him. <laughs> I saw him talk in India, and he, he doesn't listen to it. I saw him talk in India. I think he had 45 minutes or an hour, and he went for at least an hour and a half to an hour 45. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know what that podcast would be. Yeah. But then, then the mark that goes home, and mark with the kids, and with the wife, and then with the neighbors, and then, you know, down to the bagel shop or whatever you, people do in New York. Um, you know, so you've got a different version of, your, of yourself. You yes, and it's completely silent. I only talk on yeah. podcasts and on the stage. The rest of the time, yeah. I don't really talk or give eye contact. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned staying busy. I think it's a, a look. I think when you're trying to work out what to do next, and when the circumstances of that thinking of that question are a bit of a surprise, you can read into that. I, I think the idea of staying busy and the idea of not having to worry and of being patient and of just letting kind of the world wash over you. You can choose either one based on what I've read of psychology. I do think it's useful to stay active and to pick a difficult task to do and to try to do that task and to bury your head into something productive. Yeah. Uh, but it's not easy. It doesn't mean that every day you're able to get up and, and, and do that. But like, how are you staying busy now? Well, I was, I'm not totally twiddling my thumbs. You know, I've, got, I've had one or two projects, so that's always good when you've got some work to do. But if I've got nothing on, um, I've got a zillion things that I could be doing. You know, I've got this second book, you know, that I kind of abandoned in November last year. Mm. And every now and again, I go back and, and try and write that. But it was funny because 
the other stuff, the other writing, when I was super busy and working, and working long hours or whatever, and it was like, right, I've got to finish that chapter, so I'll get up at five in the morning, and I can write for an hour and a half or two hours before I have to go. It was easier to do that than to say, well, I've got nothing to do on Wednesday, so I'll just sit and write the book, because I can't, because I just spend Wednesday panicking about the fact that I've got nothing to do. Ah, um, how, how do you, how can you trick yourself out of that? Well, it's, it's kind of try and make the day go past, you know, so just even sort of pretty banal sort of things, you know, just try and get exercise, you know, I think that, because obviously that has uh, an effect on your mental state as well, so I'd go out with a dog, you know, so go for a long walk, that's good for thinking. Um, I read, uh, I haven't finished it, but I read a bit of it, and it was a sort of biography of the Kahneman and Tversky relationship, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, everyone knows Thinking Fast and Slow, that was Kahneman's book, but then there's another book where, about how they came to their ideas and stuff, and, uh, and the pair of them just used to walk around parks and just talk about stuff, and then go and, when they got back to the lab, write it down, you know? So... Oh yeah, the, yeah. The, walk, the walk's important. Yeah, it's definitely important. But I think the the commitment's useful. And and for me, I think what I had to do is try to work out. I had to think about what my life's work was, and I kept trying to solve some kind of problem for myself by taking jobs in in agencies. And deep down, look, first of all, I've had a privileged career, and I appreciate it. But I pro- I'm probably not an employee, and I've done enough psych tests where that comes up, where they're like, just leave him alone, let him be, he's independent, he'll get it done. Don't mess with him and America doesn't most of the companies I know in America they don't do that they mess with the individuals they like to control the employees very visually and so I I don't think I was really a cultural fit for American companies and I'm more able to contribute to companies being outside of them but I know that deep down what I've tried to do whether it's through hip-hop magazine through radio through writing is try to help people who think for a living just feel a little more connected and a little more powerful than a lot of them do because a lot of them are easy to pick off as individuals and they can weaken if they see themselves as individuals and hide in their career. And so I, I found having that narrative in my head it helps me refocus so that if I ever have a, a down day, I know that I can talk to myself about what I just said and it'll hopefully get me back on track. And then I'm like, okay, what are the actions I now need to do? You know, it could be that there's a particular project I'm working on or there's a talk coming up or training coming up, but there's a thing coming up and I keep going. And yeah. it doesn't mean that every day is easy, but then also I do believe in momentum. You do one, you make something happen and then another thing tends to happen. It's like, oh damn, what? I didn't know this was going to happen. And it's kind of magic. It can be magical. It's not always going to work out. It's not always going to be easy. Yeah. But I think what you've done now you've built a sort of audience and just doing things like, you know, we were talking earlier, so I said, you know, my favourite ones of this of this show is when you just go and walk in the park and just uh, stream of consciousness or answer questions or something. But when, so when there's an audience and they're, and they're listening to that, you never know when just one of those little things that you do is a seed that gets planted somewhere and then that turns into a project or something. Hmm. So that that's the kind of lesson, you know, about, you know, because we're talking about, you know, keeping active or whatever, but it's keeping active in public, if you like, and, put, you know, putting putting things out there because because nothing, you know, one thing's for sure, if you sit in your room sort of just thinking about stuff where nothing is going to happen because you need those sparks need to need to go out there, you know? Totally, totally. Yeah, I, I think it's, for, for me at least, it's been, uh, as I've navigated where I want to go, th- 
there's a sense that I'm not going back, you know, so this is, this is the future and I can define that future with how I think about quote unquote life's work. It might be coiny to some people, but it's useful to me and that's all that matters. Uh, and then trying to scare myself with ideas and projects and trying to have a, investing in a more savage commitment to like raw self-expression and doing that in public and doing it in a louder way. Uh, I still feel like I'm operating at about 5%, but, um, I'm operating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There's something happening. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, this year or the last couple of years, you've been globetrotting because now you've got a sort of, you know, a brand or product or a suite of products and that can take you around the world, you know. Uh, you know, I sometimes feel, because in, in Melbourne, I mean, there's a lot of uh, good things about Australia. Just it's so remote, you know. Sometimes yeah. I get a little bit giddy. I feel like I'm on the edge of the world. Yeah, you are. Um, you are. Yeah, <laughs> and because you're a long haul flight away from anywhere, it's slightly limiting. You know, I just remember when I did the book. You know, if I'd been in London, you know, it'd be very easy to go to Amsterdam, Munich, yeah. or whatever, and you know, promote things around there, and it's only an hour away. Yeah, but um, proximity matters, and you see that in yeah. different all kinds of research, uh, yeah. inclu including to do with young student life outcomes as well. Proximity to opportunity mm. matters. Uh, I, I don't know if you've gone through this, but let me, like, so I've been trying to build on a few principles slash hypotheses. I know that they're not the same thing, but I'll probably misspeak and one will turn out to be the other. I'm curious to hear yours. So some of mine early on was like, I want to build a life around the way that I like to work. I don't want to sell time. I want to see if I can create IP that is repeatable and resellable. I want to be geographically independent, which isn't to say I want to be nomadic. It's just to say that I don't want to have to just do business in one place. Uh, and I want to make sure that what I do is every single day taking a bigger creative risk than the day or two before or the year before, right? So there was, there's a handful of principles I started to write down. Do you, do you have a sense of what those principles or I don't know what the word is, intentions would be for what you want to do, where you want to go? I haven't gone that far really you know, again this is bad strategy you know because i'm in sort of outcome mode where i'm thinking you know pay the mortgage you know mm. pay the school fees that but you know those are the <laughs> you know, so i'm thinking you know from sort of you know it's from month to month right how do I, um i guess it's a bit like you know if you had a small business it's like make payroll right that's what you know that's a big insight you know it sounds banal but I've used that working in advertising. You know, what do small business people care about? Well, number one is they, a responsibility they have for the people that work for them. So priority number one is making sure they pay the wages. Mm -hmm. You know, once, because uh, I'm still probably in this slightly uncertain situation where I'm not sure which direction things are going to go. And I think, you know, it's probably a good tip. I think once I'm on a direction, then I think, you know, setting out those kind of rules, you know, of what, you know, it's almost like this is what I'll do, or this is what I won't do. Um, the difficulty, of course, with, so I'm not going to name names, but with, uh, with doing freelance work, of course, is you'll, you'll get a task and say, well, you know, so based on the Simon Sinek uh, principles of the golden circle, how would we solve blah, blah, blah. But if you, if you turn up and say, well, actually, Simon Sinek is a load of bollocks, then they'll just hire someone else who doesn't say that, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you're making compromises 
right from the get-go. So, mm. that, I mean, that's just my observation. I don't know how other people deal with that. I mean, if you, in, in, in the sort of early days of working things out for yourself, do you just have to bite your lip and get on with it? Or, or do you, are you more discerning and say, well, I'm not going to take that project because it conflicts with my sense of what's actually correct? Yeah, look, I think it depends on your understanding and the pressures on you around finance and finances and money, and then how specific you are with what you object to and what you really want to do, because that can take time. That could take two, three, four years, and you could change it all again years after that, and that's okay. You know, like, for example, when I first started, I thought I was going to do what I would call workouts and workshops. You know, I knew that I, I didn't like politics, but I love to come in, help people do good thinking together and get somewhere. And I did a few workshops and I just wasn't really happy with the outcome. I was like, oh, I really should have, we just got stuck on some words that I wouldn't usually want to use because they kind of were vague to me. I was like, I should have insisted on, on doing interviews and writing. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm changing how I work. And so when I do strategy work to get to say credit brief or a brand strategy, I, I'm like, here's how I really like to work. But it did take a few projects for me to, <laughs> to see in the wild what was going on. Because in the <laughs> New York agency world, I was often dropped in to run workshops, but would often have to chase the output of the workshops to see what happened to them in some <laughs> large, large places. So I, I think it's just in the startup world, they talk about customer discovery or pricing discovery. It's, it's just a process of discovery. You know, as long as you don't feel completely morally conflicted by having to use someone else's circles, that's okay, because you have the other option of trying to reframe the problem and how it reached reached you, right? Mm-hmm. Eating our own dog food, in a, in a way, is a, you know, it's a good argument for for building your own brand, because because then you get selected, you know, on the basis of that. I, I love that. Um, I don't know if you've seen that thing. Every now and again, it goes round on social media, and it's the letter that Mick Jagger Mm-hmm. sent to Andy Warhol in yep. like 1972, you know, uh, uh, asking him to design the Rolling Stones' greatest hits album cover. You know, it was, uh, here's a bunch of stuff you can that you can use or not if you don't want to, and please write back and tell us how much money you want. <laughs> I think that's, that's, the, that's the power of branding right there, you know, yeah. in, a, in a sort of nutshell. Well, that, that's the, the power of a long career, fame, a lot of prolific public output uh, and some kind of chemistry beforehand, surely they must have known each other a little bit for them to be able to yeah. co- correspond like that. So there's a, yeah. that's, and I do think that as if you're doing strategy work and you're setting up a shop that it's useful to look at analogies from how, like I talk about comedians a lot, how, how some comedians have built their careers, like the ones who've been yeah. able to sustain a full-time career, artists as well. Watch that Netflix documentary, is it called The Abstract? I just started it. Uh, learn how designers build their design practices because I think those there are going to be analogies in those worlds that are yeah. going to be more useful because they're not usually based on timesheets, for example, and timesheets does shape the advertising in career and life uh, in a way that it doesn't shape some other creative minds because yeah, they don't absolutely. sell time. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, what's it going to take you to finish your book, the second book? And what was it about? Or what is it about? So the working title, this will probably be the title. So it's called Shot by Both Sides, which I've nicked from the... Um, so Howard DeVoto, who was uh, one of the founding members of the Buzzcocks, he left the Buzzcocks right when the first record came out and started another group called Magazine. So that was their sort of first uh, hit. And it's really, it's about not 
fitting in with, you know, for instance, in the in the advertising sense, we've got on the one side you've got the anti-digital brigade, you know, which uh, you know I'm sure you can easily name half a dozen of those, and then on the other side you've got the um, the you know everything traditional is is dead sort of argument, but the truth is somewhere in the middle. But that's not really a good place to be, and that's a bit of a sort of metaphor for just sort of you know society and life in general at the moment. You know, we live in such a polarized, you know, from a political standpoint and, and everything else. You know, but there's all there's all bunch of people that are really in the middle that don't feel sort of part of things. So that was uh, the title came after I looked at the four or five key chapters that were really about a sort of sense of kind of alienation. But that's kind of that's kind of what it's about. It's about trying to take a sort of middle way in, in how we sort of you know take things forward. So I've been I'm interested in uh, what's kind of going on. I think one of the most overblown yet intensely promising areas of inquiry is sort of machine learning, sort of AI. I don't think true AI actually exists yet, uh, and even AI scientists and workers would probably concur with that, right? It's still pretty stupid at the moment. But, um, you know, so I'm hugely optimistic about, you know, what that kind of technology might might sort of bring to things like creativity. Um, so I think that's that's something. I said that I did a lecture at one of the universities uh, the other week uh, there, and, uh, and one of the questions I got from the students was, uh, is AI going to take over our jobs uh, and stuff? And I was like, stop reading The Guardian or tabloid news because it's a lot of nonsense. You know, the machine learning type mechanisms, very good at rote type behaviors you know so there's the thing about uh, there was a story microsoft released that they created a ai that can read better than humans like absolute nonsense it can't you know it can it can recognize words but uh, for creative people i think it's definitely now is the the time to get interested in what's going on in that space you know i think i mean there's some uh, i don't know if you know dave king in melbourne uh, in, mm-hmm. had an agency called the Royals. He's doing his own little thing on the side now, which he calls augmented creativity. And where, you know, his sort of idea, which I sort of concur with, which I think the sort of creative team, you know, of the near future might be one person that's a sort of generalist, you know, working with uh, a sort of machine type partner, you know, which sort of throws up, you know, it can it can throw up suggestions, you know, which then the human then decides to accept or, or reject but it, you know the great thing about the machine is it can produce suggestions that are a million times faster than you know than the human person can mm-hmm. so uh, anyway there's a big big chunk in the book of sort of uh speculating and philosophizing uh, about that so i find that really interesting yeah. but like i say it's it's that sort of cliche that the impact in the short term is overstated but the impact in the long term is understated mm-hmm. so that's it so even after you're 50 you know you can still be on the cutting edge of uh, technology because <laughs> um, uh, you know the students i was talking to i think they were blissfully really unaware of what was going on in that space so i'm optimistic about that mm-hmm. but what's it going to take to to finish the book uh, uh, I don't know. I think I just need to actually do it. So it's longer than the first one. So I could probably hack out all the bits that I'm not happy with and it would still be a book. But the second one is much harder to do than the first one. You're, but what's 
what's the story with no <laughs> one? Because it's because it's been done for a while, hasn't it? Is uh, it? No, hey, hey, hey. I, I did I did a draft through winter, and but half, half of it was content I've played with for five to ten years. I've just tried to give it yeah. a new voice and some new ideas, and then I worked with an editor. I had an editor go through it at the start of the year, in, into the start of the year. And then I left it for a bit and now I'm trying to, I've been having some pretty panicky dreams, like really weird dreams actually, because I really want to get it launched or announced, possibly printed this year, 2019, at the very least. And I'm mumming and ahhing about whether I do a Kickstarter campaign because I've got a relatively strong point of view about how I want it to appear in the world like i want it to be a hardcover book that a lot of like not a lot of people but that people touch before i look at other other formats even though i read research on the other formats so my aim is to get something (laughs) live by november of 2019 so that'll be i I thought i saw you say recently that you were up to eighty thousand words or something yeah yeah. mark that's that's two books right so it's cut it in half and then you've solved the problem which is the second book, which is the, which is much harder to write because you've already written it. I know, but I'm sitting on a bunch of other stuff for a second book as well. Yeah, right. so I've, I've kind of I've, I've got I've got an idea. I've got an idea of, <laughs> of what I'm trying to do. I'm definitely okay. guilty of lots of words when I use them, and the rest of the time yeah. it's just silence. Yeah. Uh, Economics, though, you know, like what, what are you going to do? Sell one book for forty dollars, you know, or you could do two. books, you know? Totally. But here's the thing, right? Like, if I've started to try to identify more as an artist, and maybe that's pretentious, and maybe people are like, you're not, but I'm like, I am. And guess what? When you're an artist, you can do whatever you want. So I might might try to sell, if I'm lucky, might try to sell a thousand hardcover books, and then I'm going to split them in two, and they'll be done differently with different drawings. Like, I can do whatever I want, right? Ah, I see. I'm even thinking about doing silly things. I'd need someone to hold me to this, but like, Recording a 60-minute set and putting it on vinyl is a bit of a stunt. I, mean, I don't know if anyone would buy it, but it'd be kind of yeah. funny. Like, I can do whatever I want. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah. what's a book? How do I break that down? What are the rules? What if I break the rules? Cool. You know, yeah. A book to me is just a big piece of work, and you can do whatever you want with that piece of work. You can yeah. make it small things. You can do posters, T-shirts, whatever you want with it. You just happen to have collected a whole bunch of words that you can do whatever yeah. with it. It was whereas the traditional way is like write a book, get it published by a publisher, and hope that it's successful. And most are not. Um, yeah. Actually, you've got because you've got your little slogans and drawings and stuff. That would be good on merch. That you mm, can do that. Uh, I do t-shirt. have my little slogans. Oh my craziness! Yeah. Is there, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ian, all right. So let's let's end this with. I want to ask the question again. What's the one thing that you're most looking forward to about what comes next for you? I'm looking forward to, you know, I, I still have enough uh, sort of confidence in my own uh, ability that I think something interesting and surprising and different is probably uh, going to happen. So I'm looking forward to finding out what that is. I, I have a hunch that it might not be strictly advertising, you know, but it's going to be involved in human behavior and communications uh, mm. and stuff. Uh, you know, so, I mean, the technology thing, the, the, the machine augmented creativity, that's something that's been, from an idea point of view, I've kind of been captivated by. Uh, so, I'm, you know, I wonder if I can involve that uh, in some way. I think one of the big problems in the sort of conventional machine learning philosophy of machine learning sort of space from what i've read is a sort of blank slate view of 
artificial intelligence, right? But I, but I think this is this is where having a sort of grounding in psychology is is a real is a benefit uh, in that area because the human mind, you know, obviously has a lot of innate mechanisms which learning happens uh, within those. And I think the the engineers uh, and sort of data driven. Uh, AI is is very obsessed with the learning and not so much with the innate. You know, I think they feel that's cheating in a way. But um, but if we're going to create these uh, machines that are going to be, you know, useful enhancements to human thinking, then I think we need to look think about the machines in the same way we think about the human mind. So that's what I'm interested in. Whether that comes to anything, I you know, I don't know. But that would be, you know, I'd be looking forward to still sort of breaking new ground maybe doing some different mm -hmm. things and it might be something surprising awesome. that's awesome. a bit of a cop that's a cop out answer that's all right it's a, i mean it's emerging these things emerge yeah. and then yeah. you, you tack like a yeah. boat tacks <laughs> yeah. that's totally cool where can people follow along on the internet to see where to follow your journey yeah, well, I'm still uh, at uh, ENP, E-A-O-N-P, uh, on Twitter. My uh, consulting brand is artsciencetechnology.com. Uh, so you can go there. Uh, it's basically a website with a contact form at the moment. So uh, <laughs> if there's any web designers out there want to want to help me uh, for free to make that into a proper website, then you know, feel free to uh, to contact me. We'll work out some sort of barter exchange of knowledge uh, arrangement awesome yeah well thank you for joining me today i look forward to hearing what's happening i'm going to bully you to finish this book faster than maybe i'm going to finish mine no i'm going to bully you to finish this book i don't know how i'm going to do it maybe just me yeah. saying it that's this is the extent of my bullying yeah. uh shot yeah. by well, I'm, what i'm waiting see because you keep saying yours is coming out this year right so i don't want to be clashing you know this is a bit like when you know when the rolling stones and the beatles in the 60s they used to sort of collaborate and say right we'll put our record out this week and you can do yours two weeks after you see so i don't want to be <laughs> don't want to be competing uh with, with your sort of massive tome uh, uh, that, so. <laughs> my two uh yeah if you release yours i'll just release two books <laughs> <laughs> and a t-shirt yeah I'll, t I'll, I'll put out some stickers in the meantime <laughs> <laughs> oh dear alright man All right. well yeah best wishes with everything let us know how you go okay brilliant thanks for having me on again Mark all, all the man. best peace